Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I think the sad thing is, is they, DePaul is very much a, uh, very much a punching bag. And they still, I believe, have been to a final four more recently than Purdue. No, they have not. They went in 79. We went in 80. So yeah, suck it, DePaul. Yeah, take that. <laughs> Well, that works in because um, the Chicago team, their home court for the world tennis team was literally across the street from DePaul's campus. So we're, we, can, we can throw in some jokes. The Blue Demon's expense for sure. Nice. All right. So we can probably get rolling on this and uh, just go from there then. All right. Sounds good. How are you feeling? I'm good. How about yourself? Um. I'm coming down off my buzz, which is good. That was the plan. It was like middle of the day. It was a little too drinky, but now I'm feeling fine. All right. Well, we, can, we can work that in. So. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to the latest Let's Get Weird sports podcast. We are coming to you live on the night of college football conference championship games in a season where college football has been very, 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 very strange, to say the least. Some teams have played as little as three or four games. Others managed to cram in 11 or 12. Who knows what's going to happen, but we will not be talking about college football tonight except for my lovely and delicious. <clears throat> That's right. Another Sheriff of Fansville, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, I have added to the Sheriff of Fansville recipe, and if you get some of the Brown County, Indiana, uh, I think it's Copper Kettle or something, uh, whatever, uh, cinnamon vodka and substitute that in for a little bit instead of the screwball whiskey. Mm, my friends, that is good. So that is, I guess, our first ad placement of the night. And with me, as always, is Paul Banks from Chicago. How are you doing tonight, Paul? Well, in the, in the words of Rihanna, oh, let the Jameson sink in. Um, <laughs> I sampled a couple different types of Jameson to watch the Fighting Irish because I figured Irish whiskey fit the, the mood and... um. 
Yeah, I don't know. I thought they would keep it close, but that was pretty boring. And honestly, tomorrow, when you kind of look at who gets into the playoff, I, I, I don't really think it matters. I, I'm not sure I'd feel anything either way because Notre Dame, Ohio State, it just sets up an Alabama-Clemson title game. And, um, yeah, in, in the words of that Simpsons sketch when um, I think it – I forget which Beatle it is, but it's the one where Homer was in a barbershop quartet and they're singing and they're like, it's been done. I think that was the George Harrison one. Yeah, it must have been George Harrison. But whatever happens in this goofy quasi-college football season, this pseudo-season, it, it's been done. Well, as we know, it was all set up by the the deep, deep, deep state agents that are the United States Supreme Court. We really just need to declare martial law because, I mean, clearly everything has been rigged from the beginning that it was going to be Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. And obviously, uh, if you're an Indiana fan as well, it was rigged to get Ohio State into the Big Ten championship game today. Well, when Ohio State was winning, I did make some jokes on Twitter about that. I said, there's going to be rule changes at halftime where <laughs> we'll bring in MTV Rock and Jock basketball where there's spots on the floor or, well, in bas- on the floor, in this case on the field, where if you throw a touchdown pass from this spot, it's worth 10 points or 25 instead of six. But that only works for Ohio State. Northwestern cannot take advantage of that. And I'm like, maybe Northwestern will only get two downs to get a first down, but Ohio State will get six because, I mean, Northwestern had a second-half lead, and that, you know, in the end, they still got pantsed, but you were like, hey, man, this is a little bit more interesting than we thought. I mean, Northwestern gave him a game. That That was quite impressive, and... Uh, it, it was nice to see that it wasn't the walkover that people expected. So who knows what's going to happen. And here, here's an interesting stat you will like. Since the start of the 2017 season, Ohio State is now 34-0 and against the non-black and gold Big Ten teams, but 0-2 against the black and gold Big Ten teams. <laughs> oh, I like it. Oh, that's salty. That's so salty. Oh, in this podcast, everybody in Columbus stopped listening right there. <laughs> and, and before we get into the nice topic, I did look up the proper first sponsor that we have of the night, and that would have to be Hard Truth Distilling Company. If you're in Brown County, Indiana, or in Central Indiana, get their stuff. It's really good. The cinnamon vodka is amazing. I am gonna, I am gonna try a share of. Sheriff of Fansville at some point because um, I have sampled peanut butter whiskey once and it, it was pretty good. I was surprised by that. It's quite delicious. And if you can do it with the Dr. Pepper cream soda that they have out right now, even better. But enough about drinking and enough about college football. We are here to talk about weird stuff as if the 2020 college football season wasn't weird enough. We will be talking about something I honestly ver- know very, very little about right now. Uh, probably a little bit like when we did the Swayze Speed Kings podcast talking about the nine overtime game and Paul didn't have a lot of knowledge about that behind the scenes. Uh, I don't know much about today's topic. We'll be talking about world team tennis. Uh, you brought this to my attention this past week. Really something that I was peripherally aware of, as in I knew it existed, but beyond that, not a whole lot. Right. And um, I just had the publicist send me a book about a month ago. She reached out and I looked at it a couple weeks ago and I was just like, hey, this is really interesting. I thumbed through it and I saw that in the 1970s, you had teams that were it was like a regular pro sport where all these cities had teams and you can just start right off the bat. You can have some fun with the names of the teams and how it's derived from the city, like the Baltimore banners, the Philadelphia freedoms, the Houston easy riders who have a tennisified version of Yosemite Sam, like with the truck nuts, except he's got tennis rackets instead of guns. 
I'm looking at some of the team names here. The Boston Lobsters. I mean, right that's off fantastic. the bat, that's fantastic. And they had they had a mascot who they did have a lobster walk around on the court too, which was awesome. Pinchy. <laughs> that's will be the first of many Simpsons references to come tonight. Um, you had uh, the sports writers would have a lot of fun with this because. The, the Pittsburgh Triangles in a reference to the Three River City. So they would be like triangles bisected by the Golden Gators. And the Golden Gators, it, it's like, you know, if, if a tennis racket and the corporate logo for Cisco Systems had sex and had a child, that's what the Golden Gators logo looks like. It's like the Golden Gate Bridge with the tennis racket. Um, the San Diego Friars. And that's funny because the prod, the Padres are often called the Friars. Their logo looks more like Providence than it does the Padres. But, um, you know, Jimmy Connors, tennis, famed tennis player Jimmy Connors thought they were named after some guy named Banner. He didn't know who Francis Scott Key was for the Baltimore <laughs> Banners. One thing I'm noticing here is there are no Canadian teams, and I'm highly disappointed about that. Yeah, you know what? That That is a little bit disappointing. But um, we have something here that we've never had in any kind of American league, any American sports league. And this goes back to a topic that we covered on a previous episode. We had make a glorious Soviet Union. There was a Soviet Union team in this league. Absolutely fabulous, because I, I do remember – uh, in the mid-90s, when you had the International Hockey League, which for a brief time tried to, it seemed like they were going to challenge the NHL because they moved into a bunch of larger markets, like they had a team in Winnipeg once the Jets moved to Phoenix, and they had a team in Indianapolis and a team in Atlanta and everything else. I believe they had a traveling Soviet-slash-Russian team in the uh, early 90s. So it's not totally unheard of, but yes, let, let's hear about the glorious Soviet Union national tennis team there. Well, before we continue, I just want to mention that um, early in the pandemic, around March or April, I did actually get a warning that one of the apps I use for podcasting was hacked from someplace in St. Petersburg, Russia. So clearly they were trying to stop us from recording that Soviet Union baseball team pod. There's there's no other, other explanation for why they attacked me, so they're probably trying to stop us right now from doing this, but take that, Yuri and Boris. We're going to Boris and Natasha. We're doing this anyway. <laughs> well, it will always be Leningrad to me instead of St. Petersburg. Just right. like Volgograd is always going to be Stalingrad. Muskrush capitalism. Rah, rah. Uh, the, the latest one that I have is... Uh, Make Kaliningrad Königsberg again. <laughs> and make Gdansk Danzig again. <laughs> well, the bulk of the research, most of the research, oh, who am I kidding? Damn, every single bit of research for this podcast comes from a book called Bustin' Balls by Stephen Blush. And it's a fine hardcover. It's a well-put-together book. Um, if you have tennis people in your life this Christmas, um, it's not too late. I suggest you pick this up and give it to them for Christmas. And um, the book is called Bustin' Balls, World Team Tennis 1974-1978, Pro Sports, Pop Culture, and Progressive Politics. And um, Stephen Blush is a rock and roll writer. And this is the first book, it appears, on his own label. This seems to be his own publishing house. Um, and it's very much written like a music writer wrote it, because when you look at the Soviets, for every team that's involved, he puts a highlight and a low light. And their low light was losing 15 of their first 18 matches. Um Yes, Otis, they were terrible. You're right. Yeah, but you're right, Otis. They did kind of break down barriers because this was the height of the Cold War. Um, Dynamite dropper, Otis. Know. Thank you. I have a very historically astute cat. He seems to know so much about the history of the Cold War. <laughs> um, he says the highlight was attending a Neil Diamond concert 
at the Greensboro Coliseum on May 3rd, 1977. They were coming to America today! Today! (laughs) So they only exist, so while this league only existed from 74 through 78, the Soviets had one season in 1977. They finished in last place in the Eastern Division, and they went 12-32. and There, there's no, I, when I'm scrolling through all the people that are on this team, but there's no one I've really heard of. Um, but you know, they played all road games and this was obviously a year after 76 with that Olympic boycott and before the 1980 boycott. So this was a very trailblazing kind of progressive team to, to come in and be a part of this when, you know, like you said, there's no Canadian teams in this league and, um, well, MLS had a Mexican team for a while. MLS still has a Canadian team today. American Lynx have Canadian teams, but to have, you know, the evil empire, I mean, that that's really something. And, you know, thank God you had the Soviet Union tennis team around in the 70s because how else could Anna Kornikova establish herself as a brand and sell calendars and bikinis and stuff you know 20 years later to the american audience if not for the soviet union tennis team well i'm disappointed that they weren't able to play some home matches in red square i mean if you hit linden's tomb is that in or out (laughs) there was a match march 8th through 9th 1976 at moscow's well, this was an exhibition. This was not a part of the league. 13,000 capacity Palace of Sports in Lenin Stadium Park by the Kremlin. Uh, Larry King, not the not the talk show host, but the husband of Billie Jean King, who is the president, commissioner, franchise owner, basically the founding father of the league. King decreed, this series between Team America All-Stars and Team Russia All-Stars will do a lot for tennis in both countries as well as for WTT. The Soviet Union has never won the Davis Cup or Federation Cup, but people will be amazed at how well the Soviets will be in this type of team event. The intense focus and training drilled into most Russian players will make them a natural for our scoring tennis. And this was not, tennis was not a thing really at this time. And that's what's kind of, what's really interesting is because what we've discussed over doing this podcast about Soviet Union sports, about how serious they take everything. Well, I only have one thing to say about that. What's that? And that's about as much as we can play. What happened? Where did it go? (laughs) I just stopped it. (laughs) In Russia, tennis rackets strike you. Well, I also don't want to do some kind of, some sort of copyright violation, so we'll 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 cut that even shorter in post. But it is interesting to see how, like you said, this was kind of at the height of the Cold War, and to be able to have have a uh, team right there from the Soviet Union. I know that sports between like 1976 and 1988, there was that intense sports rivalry with, with the Soviets and. It kind it almost acted like it was a substitute for, all right, we'll have we'll have the sports rivalry so we don't go to nuclear war almost. Which is the good thing you would think. I mean, you you would think that there's at least I would say there was at least a two percent chance that after the miracle on ice in 1980 we were going to get a full scale nuclear strike. It, it it is possible. I mean, thank God that Rocky and Ivan Drago ended the Cold War forever. Oh, absolutely, yes. Because we could have had full-on nuclear winter and (laughs) mutual assured mutual destruction, whatever that was called. (laughs) So uh, what was, like, the match format here? Was it one-on-one? Was it doubles tennis? Was it, like, I know here, at least with the IHSAA in Indiana, you... If in the team matches, there's basically three double, three singles matches and two doubles matches, and then whatever team wins the most points out of those five moves on in like the state tournament. So how did how did this work actually? That's yeah, that's what's really interesting about it is how um, the title of the book says "Pro Sports, Pop Culture, and Progressive Politics," and 
it's really not – I don't really see much that's political here. It's not like Spiro Agnew was facing off against Jimmy Carter and the winner of the match had dominion over the um, fate of the Equal Rights Amendment or anything. Because it, the idea of politics in this sense was – you flash back to that era, the idea of men and women being on the same team. You had at least three men, three women on each team – and you played singles men, singles women, doubles women, doubles men, mixed doubles. So you had five competitions, and then you just added up the sets to see who won. That is an idea, like, to us, we just kind of take this for granted, the ideas of gender and race and, and sexual orientation. But in this day and age, this was political, like, this is politicized, that you had the infamous uh, Battle of the Sexes, or you know, the famous Battle of the Sexes, was one year before the league started. So that kind of went into it. So when you had the idea of, of women and men playing together, teams in which women and men, I mean, really kind of the flagship franchise, so to speak, was the Philadelphia Freedoms, and Billie Jean King was their franchise, the cornerstone, the face of the franchise. So it was really groundbreaking in that sense of where it was a, a sport where if women didn't take the lead or were in front and center, they were at least equal. And another interesting thing is how the court had these ugly ass colors. So it didn't have lines. It had, um, Oh yeah, I'm looking at right now. So you've got blue and green service boxes. You've got maroon alleys and you've got red sidelines. And the idea was that, um, yeah, you're right, Otis. It was a lot like the ABA. Um, it, yeah, it was like the American Basketball Association. If you had a crazy colors as a novelty or a gag to get attention. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, it seems like that was a little bit. What a lot of leagues, especially you had the other offshoot leagues, you mentioned the ABA, and you also had the World Hockey Association in the late 70s. So there was a lot going on uh, at the time, being at the forefront, kind of, this was one of the first, like, really popular women's professional sporting events. How much do you think uh, did they play off of that infamous Battle of the Sexes with uh, Billie Jean King and, oh, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank as to who she beat in Bobby Steve Carell. Steve Carell. Bobby Riggs. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Bobby Riggs was drafted by the Chicago team, the Chicago Aces, and he never suited up for them. And the Aces kind of peaked as the franchise when they named themselves because although it was also a reference to the tennis having an unreturned serve it was a nod to the gangster past and the gambling syndicates and the crime syndicate. So that's what the aces came from. And all they ever were able to do was get Bobby Riggs to show up to play 25 minutes of scrimmage tennis. He, he played one point matches against women from the city prior to an actual aces match there. I mean, I'm looking at the Indy, the, in, the Detroit loves, became the Indiana Loves, and there is a photo right here of somebody named Diane Fromholtz, and she has a very, very short skirt and a very tight blouse, and as the book says in the intro, that was, there was a lot of um, selling sex appeal 
to try to get people to come out. Um, looking back at what was written by the sports writers in the 70s, you can kind of imagine some of the angles they took with that, which would get you fired before the sentence is even completed today. You know, it, it really did seem like a lot was done to try to get people in the seats by any means necessary. And ultimately, they couldn't get people in the seats. Um, they used they used star power, but it just they couldn't afford to pay the people who were big names and because they just couldn't draw and. They ended up with a lot of debt. And it seems like that was the death knell for a lot of sports leagues there in the 70s. I know the ABA and the WHA were that way. And unfortunately for, like, World Team Tennis, they couldn't rely on, oh, well, the ABA could eventually send a few teams to the NBA and then be bailed out by the merger. And I know that the WHA did the same with, I think it was like, see, what was it, the Winnipeg Jets, the Edmonton Oilers, there were a couple other teams there, I know. But you mentioned the butts in the seats thing. That really was it. It's hard to imagine now in this era of the multi-billion dollar TV contracts and everything, a league operating entirely just on attendance and people showing up. But what what were the size of the arenas? Uh, I think I think some of our readers and readers, listeners would be surprised that the Indianapolis Loves that you mentioned actually played at Market Square Arena, which I believe as a 1970s venue I'm legally required to call the venerable Market Square Arena. Right, that's what's fat. So they started out in Detroit and they played at Cobo Arena. And then when they moved to Indiana, it says um, they played Cleveland. Cleveland. Um, Martina Navratilova was a part of this. This was August 10th of 1975. The teams played before 1799 at the 17,500 capacity Indiana Convention Center. Many there for band night with 12 local rock bands. I had no idea Martina Navatrilova was part of that thing. That's a lot like, here's a little bit of trivia, also Indianapolis related. Wayne Gretzky got his professional debut in Indianapolis with the Indianapolis Racers. Oh, I've heard of them. They had like a really cool logo. I, 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 I know this. For, I didn't know that Gretzky was a part of it, though. Yes, he was... He was drafted, and this was also part of the World Hockey Association. I think he only played something like 12 games for them, and he was 16, 17 years old. But he got his professional debut with the the Racers in the 1978-89 season. Oh, looks like he played eight games, start, uh, had three goals for them before he ended up with the Edmonton Oilers, and the rest, as they say, is history. And it's funny because I have this Indiana High School basketball book where it talks about every gym in the state of Indiana. And Indianapolis Broad Ripple High School, which has since closed, actually counts him as an alum because he attended high school there while he was playing hockey professionally with the Racers. And, and what was his home venue? Uh, the Racers, I, I believe, also played at Market Square Arena. Now, this is April, 20, April 22nd, 1978 was when the first time they played at Market Square against the rebranded New Orleans Nets. It does not list the attendance, but the Loves finished the year 13-31, and 31, worse than the WTT. Ouch. And looking through the whole series of the WTT here, they have the sign of the struggling professional sports league in that they'll have franchises that existed in about five different locales as you go through their history it almost reads like the history of the arena football league right it's like when everyone tells you you go to a restaurant and they change their menu that's the sign that they're going out of business um there's a good photo here against the indiana loves in their media guide in front of the carmel racket club so they had some scrimmages at Carmel. And, you know, this was kind of the theme of the book, and the theme of the league was tennis was rich white people only, and this league came along and said, we're going to change that. And 
we're going to have diversity and we're going to make it inclusive to everybody. And we're going to have rowdy crowds with people who drink and make noise and have fun. And it's loud, you know, railing against the whole establishment of tennis with the golf clap and the hush silence and ew, the Wimbledon center courts and, and all that. But for all of that, uh, the loves had, a ticket plan marquee club entry, the center court seating that was three hundred and thirty dollars per game, and that's in nineteen seventy four. So uh, wow. adjust that for inflation. That is that is surprising, but you know how people can afford those three hundred and ten dollars seats, Paul. Um, I think I think you could tell us. So let's transition to that. Well. They can afford it by purchasing the wonderful products and services from our advertisers here. So we are going to have an ad break. And we're back from our ad break. And I was actually going to try and send it there, but it was more of a send off to do the Krusty the Clown, have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, a Crazy Kwanzaa, a Tip Top Tet, and a Solomon Dignified Ramadan. And now... Let's hear from our, my God, our sponsors. <laughs> so, as we before we went to our ad break, we were talking about the Carmel Racket Club in the Indiana Aces. And so, did they end up playing most of all these matches? Were they in kind of like the large NBA, ABA, NHL arenas at the time? Or was that just like your marquee ones and most of the, most of them were played in smaller venues? Yeah, it's totally hit or miss. Um, the Houston Easy Riders played in the Sam Houston Coliseum, which had a capacity of about 9,000. Philadelphia played in the Spectrum. And, you know, I guess this is about as good a time as any to bring up Chicago because they, at this time, the Lakeshore Racquet Club was brand new and, Today, you just know it as this, like, fancy pants, sprawling, uh, nice gym that's adjacent to the, to the DePaul campus. But at that time, it was, I mean, tennis was, according to what the book says, Wilson Sporting Goods, also based here in Chicago, they were outselling, they were selling more tennis gear than golf gear at this time. So this is about when um, tennis was about as popular as it's been. And they had a facility of 4,200, but they needed about 3,000 every night to break even. And they were drawing in the hundreds, like four or 500. They would basically end up getting more media who showed up for free booze than fans. Boston played in the Hartford Civic Center for a while. That that seats 15,000. With the whale. Uh, Nassau was. Coliseum for the New York set. Rebranded the New York Apples. They also played in the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. So, basically, you would have these teams playing in giant arenas, but no one would show up. I so, think that would be the hardest thing. I don't really know what they got out of it, because you wouldn't have a lot of atmosphere, and atmosphere was something they were really trying to sell. So it seems to me like one of the harder things you would have is what what's the draw, because tennis is such an individual sport. If you've got a roster of seven, eight, nine players in a league with 10, 11, 12, 13 teams how do you spread out the talent and who becomes the draw? Because as a very casual fan of tennis, I can't name anybody outside of the big three on the men's side of Federer, Djokovic and Nadal. I mean, I literally cannot name a professional tennis player outside of those three. And then on the women's side, I'm like, um, Serena Williams and Venus Williams. <laughs> so, Sharapova still active, right? I maybe I don't know, <laughs> but it's like it's like how do you get a draw when there are no big names like that? And that's another issue I'm sure this league faced. Yeah, the biggest problem they had was trying to fight against the establishment, the tennis federations, the tournaments. <laughs> they wanted 
they encountered obstacles at every turn. They wanted the establishment tried to squash it at every point, and they had um, these really. They played in very big arenas, like L.A. played in the sports arena and the and the forum. The New York team played at the Nassau Coliseum in Madison Square Garden, but the crowds were so small that it it just took away from it, and it took away from any kind of atmosphere, and they couldn't draw anything, and. ESPN didn't exist yet, which means you didn't have ESPN 8, the Ocho, or anything. <laughs> so you couldn't get these games on TV. And, yeah, I mean, tennis, I actually um, joined, I took tennis classes in the fall. And the first session that was outdoor, I really enjoyed because I had a lot of people that were friendly and social the second session I didn't enjoy so much because it was all indoor and, you know, as COVID got worse, I, I didn't really feel like being inside, running around and sweating. Um, outside, I felt kind of different. But um, the reason I bring this up is that tennis is a sport in which when you start to play with other people, there is this idea that, like, you have to be social. You have to interact because you're not going to have other people to play with. Like you're going to have to get everyone's phone number and set things up because it's just, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying it's, I don't think it's exclusive. I think this league has done a great service with that. I think a lot has changed. I think it is a sport that's open to everybody, but at the same time, it's very niche. And that was the problem. This league was trying to go all in with, trying to compete with basketball, football, baseball, all of it. And that's what's so funny about it. I didn't know this thing even existed until I got this book. And granted, it only lasted a few years, but it had all the trappings. You you had team names and logos and colors. And I mean, I can't, I mean, obviously I've heard of Jimmy Connors and Martina Navratilova and Chris Everett and Billie Jean King and all that, but... I don't know who some of these other people are who are probably pretty good. But would they come out to watch him? I don't know. And I heard you use the present tense there, Paul, because that's the shocker, everybody. The league still exists to this day. And in fact, it, the original incarnation only lasted 1974 to 78. But since then, it has been in continuous operation from 1981 to 2020. Yes, and... Tell us more about how it exists in this format today. Well, it looks like as of today, we have a league of nine teams. You have the Chicago Smash, the New York Empire, the Orange County Breakers, the Orlando Storm, the Philadelphia Freedoms, the San Diego Aviators, Springfield, Springfield, it's a hell of a town, Lasers. The Vegas Rollers and the Washington Castles with a K. Washington Castles with a K? Yes. <laughs> and some of these are still in some pretty good arenas. You have the Chicago Smash play at the Credit Union 1 Arena, which I believe is the home court of the UIC Flames. Am I, am I right? Well, I know it as the UIC Pavilion, but sure. <laughs> If that's what it's called today, I mean, the Philadelphia, okay. the Philadelphia Freedoms play at the home court uh, at the Hagen Arena, which is the home court of the St. Joseph's Hawk. The Vegas Rollers play in the Orleans Arena, which is one of the random casino arenas there in Vegas. And then it looks like a couple of these are outdoor arenas, too. So that would be another factor that you would have in this league. The Palisades Tennis Club is the host venue of the orange county breakers so you could have weather delays too if you have an outdoor match yeah and um side note i had to throw in here that the pittsburgh triangles one of their season ticket holders was kenny rogers gotta know when to fold them that is the ultimate out of i i say for 2020 for the people who tweeted that when he passed and then lockdown started like four or five days later after he passed. Every tweeted, he knew when to fold them. That, that's just brilliant. Yes, yes it is. But it's fascinating to see that this league is quite established. Um, it, it seems like very much a niche league. Kind of like, as I mentioned earlier, the 
AFL, the Arena League. But, uh, I mean, it seems like they have some pretty established teams, and I'm sure that they have some dedicated fans out there. Uh, I, I know one of the more fascinating things I've seen in, re- in regards to tennis is last summer, the family and I went on an East Coast Major League ballpark tour where we managed to grab four of the ballparks out there. We got Baltimore, Philadelphia, the Mets, and Washington on the trip. I was very, very surprised to see how large the Arthur Ashe Arena is for the U.S. Open. And it's almost like it's, I mean, it's basically a basketball-sized arena for tennis. And they sell it out. And so it's it's just one of those things that's surprising to me, too. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy it a lot. I've only really taken a couple classes here and there and picked it up. The people I've met playing the game, I see how passionate they are about it. It's an interesting sport in which it's the only one where you say the score before every single play. Now, in any other sport, you may be aware of what the score is, but in this sport, they tell you that. And the WTT's legacy is probably the fact that Title IX would probably not have been made, would probably not have happened if it weren't for the WTT. The Virginia Slims Tour was a part of it. Um, Lots of very well-known journalists got their start in covering it and went on but two big-time owners that we know today, well, I wouldn't say no one love, but we know them. Robert Kraft and Jerry Buss were owners of WTT franchises. And as we know, Robert Kraft is fine with giving women a shot. Hey-oh! <laughs> it's always time for love with Robert Kraft. <laughs> okay, that one was better. That one was better. I'm telling you, kid, you but anyway, that bit'll kill. Oh, that's going case the Malamars. That's going in the act. <laughs> but you you make a good point in that tennis always seemed to be one of those sports that was kind of at the forefront of equality and involving women. And you look at the history of just the Grand Slam era with Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. It goes back decades that women were playing it. And so it's kind of neat to see that the the WTT was kind of at the forefront of, well, really, women's professional sports, if you will. Absolutely. And in a year like this, in a, in a year in which the world has said no to racism and prejudice and discrimination, and you think about all the different LGBTQ athletes who have stood up and made their voices heard, the, w- the WTT was a big part of that, and you could honestly say with it, it's a cliche or whatever, or it's hyperbole, but this was so far ahead of its time, way ahead of its time. Pretty cool, and it's something that I honestly did not know about really until we started talking about it here, and uh, I've got the actual WTT site up, it's WTT.com, and... You have uh, the Philadelphia Freedoms had clinched the number one overall seed for this year in the playoffs. It looks like they have a four-team playoff. And then your reigning champions are the New York Empire. I like it. Maybe we should go see a game. Yeah, well, you got to go over to the UIC Pavilion. And the New York Empire got in. Looks like it was a 14-match season for everybody. And the New York Empire were the last team that made the playoffs, and they got in, and they ran the table and won. Well, that's good to know that... Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
It is succeeding in some form, some way, shape, or form. That's great to know that it is working in, in these certain cities because, you know, the post I did in the sports bank about the Chicago Aces, and based off the chapter I read, it was really sad. It was just like, here's another sporting franchise located in the Lincoln Park neighborhood that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, that that's a shout out to Paul, by the way. <laughs> Which DePaul, as we know, is French for of Paul. Yes. <laughs> I have many leather bound books. <laughs> so on that note, uh, do you have anything else that we need to add about uh world team tennis here? Um Oh wait, I ha- I do have to I do have to add one more. It appears that the top player this year for the New York Empire is a gentleman by the name of Jack Sock. Which I is, love it. it. Whoa, it was the 2016 gold medal winner in mixed doubles. So, yeah, he's swinging a big... Um, here, the, it, it, the Chicago Aces, their highlight was Stapp versus Chicago Aces tennis team win in the Illinois Appellate Court July 21st, 1978. That was basically the biggest win they had as a franchise was a player suing them for back pay and lost. Wow. And their their low light was losing to the Methadone Maintenance Institute of Chicago benefit loss to Denver. So they, even playing a charity match for a good cause, backfired. But, We're you know... They play a bunch of meth addicts. I mean, goodness gracious, they're going to play hard. There is a story, this is true, that they had a team party that was open bar with the team before a match. So in addition to, um, since we're talking about narcotics, as we often do on this podcast, like controlled substances, <laughs> they recreate them. Oh my goodness. So that, I mean, that is awesome. I knew, I knew nothing of this before tonight. This is wonderful. And like you said, you have to go out and see the Chicago smash worthy, Runner-up this year, they lost to the New York Empire 21-20 in the final match. And it went to what is called the Super Tiebreak. I don't even know what that is, and that sounds amazing. I did read about they did try to speed up the game in this league, which they had a limit on numbers of deuces. I don't know. I have, I've only kind of really learned the scoring through these classes, and sometimes I like to mess with my opponents by saying I don't know the score or don't know how to score to get inside their head and sometimes it works so i i I have no idea what that is um you know i try to be like the jose Mourinho of tennis where my 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 celebration is i take the racket and i do air guitar on the racket whenever i beat them and there was this one girl who beat me in a set where it just had set up where everyone else in the class had stopped so they're just watching us play singles and she beat me and then did the air racket the air guitar on me and I'm like, that is solid. That is quality. I'm like, I have to respect that. Well done. Well done. And then I said, next week, you got to that's awesome, but you got to go get your own thing. And then you have to beat me and then do that. Because <laughs> that's my bit. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, I think we can kind of close the book on this chapter of the Let's Get Weird podcast. And... Uh, you had mentioned another topic that we were going to talk about tonight, and I believe it involved the troubles, as they refer to it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there's – Um. so now comes my favorite part of the show. Talk what is that? Talk oh, to the audience. Oh. <laughs> no, we were going to do um the cocaine pirate. That was one idea we had. And then we are going to do um, another British thing. We were going to do um, Wimbledon, not – Tennis Wimbledon, but the metric football, the football club. Ah, yes, gonna... Wimbledon FC that is now Milton Keynes Dons. Yes, yes, the MK Dons. That is how they are known today. <laughs> um, the, the last ditch resort when a London team is getting a stadium renovation and they need somewhere to go play for a year, and they have and they can't use Wembley, they go to. Milton Keynes, um, yeah, the crazy gang. It was a, there was um, these guys used to haze their fellow recruits by setting their cars on fire and whatnot. 
I mean, that's just good natured right there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just poli- that's good British manners and some politeness. <laughs> and I could just be like, oh, um, yes, I, I I believe we have a we we have a bit of an inferno with my automobile. I'm sorry. I honestly could listen to Ian Dark read the phone book, and it would just be <laughs> fantastic because. <laughs> He is amazing, and he he is the best sportscaster out there, and we we need more Ian Dark in our lives. We need to sign him up for like college football or something, because he he's phenomenal, and that's just great. That yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, he was talking about like some boring goalless draw that had maybe two shots on goal and no scoring chances. Oh, I believe the previous match was one of the indifferent editions of the Starby. <laughs> like, indifferent edition. <laughs> it's like when Frank Lampard was talking about Christian Pelusic's hamstring flaring up. He's like, hmm, he, he went to training with a bit of awareness in his hamstring today. <laughs> I'm like, I have awareness in every body part every morning when I get up. <laughs> Well, awareness. I, <laughs> anytime I see a goalless draw, I'm reminded of a comic that my wife pointed out to me. It was Pearls Before Swine, I believe it is. And they were talking about hockey with a nothing-nothing tie. And one of the characters is just like, fight you time-wasting figure skaters. And so anytime <laughs> I see a goalless draw, I'm like, fight you time-wasting joggers. <laughs> So on that note, I think we can wrap this up. Uh, it looks like you've got a lot of things to look forward to if you're a loyal listener to this podcast. But we do thank you for listening and appreciate you being with us throughout the pandemic. And it's just nice to have some regular sports again. And we promise that we will be back before too long. So for myself, for Paul at the Sports Bank, we thank you for listening and we look forward to hearing from you again. All right. Whew. Yay, I was right. Yay. What, what, what's that, Liz? It was Pearls Before Swine. Travis got it right. And I don't hear that much from her that I'm right, so I'm just going to – I'm ending the podcast right now. <laughs>